Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Yes, it's a Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. So I am really happy that we got all our crop planted. So far, everything is looking good. The stands um, are are just fine. It's been really cold here so far this year. I, I, I shouldn't say the entire year, but for the last month, it's been cold. So we planted into cold soil temps. We've had nothing but cold soil temps. And I'm talking, there's a lot of stuff that was in the 30s and low 40s when we planted corn and beans. <laughs> So it wasn't exactly ideal, but seed treatment's a big deal. Using the right amount of liquid fertilizer and the right rate and the right products, you got to just keep everything. um, You have to be careful about salt in situations like these. You also have to worry about disease, insects. That seed's sitting in the ground for a long time before it comes out. So there's just an awful lot of risk there. But anyway, where I'm going with this is I would really encourage you Go out and check your stands. So whether they just emerged, whether they emerged a few weeks ago, whatever it is, make sure you're checking your stands. So you know, hey, how did my planter do, number one? And two, what do I possibly need to adjust for next year? And then very worst case scenario, maybe you've got some replant spots or something like that. So all things to look at when you're out scouting early in the season. And certainly you can look for weeds, insects, diseases. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff to be scouting for out there. But that's probably the, the biggest thing that I would say separates a lot of people from treating anything in the field and treating nothing in the field is just, hey, did you go out and walk it? If you actually spend time in the field, it's surprising how often we find harmful things out there that we can solve or just problems that we can solve. And for that matter, even tweaks that we can make to our fertility program in the future. And I mean, there's there's just a lot that can be done to continue to improve that crop, but it really starts with field investigation. So again, I just encourage you to spend some time out in that field, out in your fields this weekend. Take a look and see what you find. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first one comes from Reeve, who says, I've got a soil pH of 7.4. My nitrogen and phosphorus and organic matter are all low. I'm wondering what would be your opinion of this soil test result and what would you do to fix it? Okay, well, that's part of the information that we need, but without a whole soil test, I, I, I can't really say exactly what I would do. Also, does he say what crop we're talking about? No. Okay, so I, I'd like some more information. If possible, I'd like a complete soil test. I'd like to know what crop you're, you're planning to raise or crops, what your yield goals are. I, I mean, I just, I want to know just a little bit more information. Even if I just literally get a soil test, I can tell you, hey, um, here's, here, here are concerning things to me. So just to comment on, I got a 7.4 pH, I got low nitrogen, phosphorus, and organic matter. Well, the organic matter is going to take a lot of time to build up if you want to build that up. In some cases, you might be talking uh, very sandy conditions, and it's it's just it's going to be hard to build that organic matter. 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know where you farm or anything else, but if you want to raise organic matter, the number one thing there is reduce your tillage. So that means you don't have to go no-till, but you just have to cut back on tillage. That will usually, over time, mean you've got a better chance for more organic matter. And there are other things that we talk about quite often here in the show, too, to increase organic matter, but reducing tillage is number one. If you're low on N or nitrogen and phosphorus, then just put more on. I, I mean, that's that's relatively easy, but that's where, too, it really depends on what crop we're raising, what the rest of the soil test looks like, and a number of other factors. So anyway, if you get us some more information, I can get you a lot better answer. All right. Thank you. Really appreciate the, the question. Uh, this one comes from Rob. He said, you guys talk about HPPDs, concern about resistance, and just concern about killing every weed out there. I'm just wondering, could you suggest some other modes of action or products that we may mix with HPPDs in our corn or use instead of HPPDs? Okay, so when we start talking corn broadleaves, there aren't a lot of modes of action. There are some, and it depends on what weeds we're after. So since it has gone so heavy toward water hemp or palmer pigweed along with kochia, those are really the worst ones, and it there there just aren't a lot of choices that are great. So the HPPDs have been really good. He made a comment in there about concern about killing all the weeds. Don't ever forget that a dead weed can never become a resistant weed. So as long as all the weeds are dying and there's not anything escaping, we're in good shape. Okay, so it's not like I'm crazy worried, but I am a little worried about the overuse of HPPD herbicides and the use of just HPPD herbicides to kill weeds. So generally what we talk about is if you wanted to go away from HPPDs, what we would suggest, and let's just assume you had water hemp and kochia or weeds similar to that, I would start with a group 15 that'll give you some activity. So that means harness, surpass, outlook, dual, zidua. Uh, and I'd probably throw sharpen in. That's a PPO that can be used pre-emerge only in corn, but that's great on broadleaves. Okay, so now I got two modes of action. Then post-emerge, generally speaking, if I don't want to go with an HPPD, then we're talking status. Now status has two different modes of action in there. It's got a dicamba at a low rate, and then there's here, another mode of action, but and that's the main killer in status. Plus, I, I might use a little bit of atrazine if, um, if I could. So that would give me a grand total of five different modes of action if you want to go that direction. Now, if you just want to mix something with your HPPD, make sure you've already got a group 15 in the field or mix a group 15 with that HPPD. That'll give you residual. Then you could throw in either atrazine or dicamba. So that will help uh, give you some more modes of action and a better chance for weed kill and a less chance for weed resistance. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. 
But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Steve with us right now in central Illinois with a question. Steve, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys today? Pretty good. What's on your mind? Um, uh, first, I'll just say you guys do an awesome job. I love listening to your show. I think it's great. Oh, thank um, you. My, my question is um, about herbicide resistance. Um, is any of the herbicide resistance due to the guys that might be, I'll call it cheating, where they're not using the, you know, recommended or the highest rates or whatever. And so it's not completely killing the weed. So does that, does that cause any resistance? You know, like you just get it a little bit. And, yes. and so it just, um, yes. instead of killing all of it. Yep. Now, no one can prove how much that causes the resistance versus something else. But yes, that has long been blamed as one of the main causes for herbicide resistance out there. And kind of to go along with that, if let's say a weed gets big, so let's say that on the label it tells you, hey, you have to spray it by four inches tall. Well, I, I occasionally will talk to farmers who say, oh yeah, my weeds are only four inches tall. And I'd, I'd literally go out to the field the same day and they're a foot tall. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, they are four inches tall. That's a, that's a long four inches you got there. But anyway, the point is now in effect, even though you're putting on a labeled rate, because you're doing it late, you're not getting a an effective dose into that plant anymore. So either way, either it's you're cutting the rate, but you're on the right t- at the right time, or you're using the right rate, but you're at the wrong time. Either way, absolutely, that can cause problems. All right, all right. Once again, thanks, guys. You're, I love I love the show. Thanks a lot. Awesome. You, bet. you bet. Thanks, thanks Steve. a lot, Steve. Let's head over to Wisconsin. We've got Dick on with us right now. Dick, how are things going in Wisconsin? Pretty good. How's it going with you guys? 
You know, we got the crop in the ground, and that's the first step of the battle, right? How about yourself? Yeah, we we can roar crop already. The corn that was planted in April 23rd, and we finished last week. It had a hard time to come out of the ground being so cold. Yeah. And um, we had a lot of, we had six days uh, in the 20s, high 20s in the morning. Everything was frosted. And last last weekend we had five tenths of an inch of rain, which helped. And um, the corn that's coming out is really dark green. I can't believe it. You know, it always comes out with that kind of yellowish tinge to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. The beans, the beans are. The beans are just poking out, and next week we're going to start cutting hay for the dairy. Excellent. All right. Well, you got a lot of stuff going on. It's not going to be a slow time for you, that's for sure. So, you know, you made it through that cold, and this is one of the things that a lot of farmers in the south are asking. Okay, we saw the freezing temps. What did you see for impacts with that? Did you see any big damage from the from the freezing temps? Did it hurt your hay crop? No, well, it kind of stunned it, yeah. In the morning, once the sun came up, all the alfalfa leaves turned up, you know, that they it had hurt them. It kind of stunned them pretty bad. But even like the corn, a lot of the corn didn't even want to come out of the ground. It was growing, instead of going, you know, up, it was growing kind of horizontal. Yeah, but it was putting long, long roots on them. Corn is a pretty smart crop. It don't want to come out when it's cold. No, it wants to stay under that safe blanket of soil as long as it can when it's cold out there. And you mentioned that you can row the corn crop now. Are your stands looking pretty good? They look very good, yes. Outstanding. Um, I, I had a, I, I've got a, a thermometer. I was taking temperatures with the, the ground being white. The ground temperature was 36 degrees. Even the ground was, was that. It was froze, you know, with the, with the ice on top. So it, that's what held the corn. Yeah, yeah. That's well. It, seeing that dark green color is really encouraging too. Early in the season, you know, and as these beans poke through, it brings to to my mind anyway. Soybean pre-emerge herbicides. Have you put pre's out there for the soybeans already, or are you going to do something after emergence? No, after emergence, we didn't put nothing down for pre. Okay. Yeah, it, you got a half inch of rain, so you haven't got a ton of rain to go on. What's the What's the uh, dry or wet outlook up there? Are you pretty dry or are you in a really good spot? Uh, yeah, I would say we're kind of in the moderate drought. We need rain bad right now again because she's drier. We're going right through, when we're planting, we're going through wet holes that we have never worked up, and we go right through them. It was so dry. Yeah, we're dry. You mentioned cutting hay for the dairy here coming up shortly. Do you do manure mainly in the fall from the dairy, or do you do that in the spring too? Uh, both spring and fall. And a lot of dairies, after the hay is cut, then they'll spray uh, manure on top of the hay fields. Okay. Yeah, Between interesting. first and second crop. Yeah, everybody handles that just a little bit different, but that's that's kind of interesting to hear that. And you think about the the hay. How long are you targeting to have that hay crop in? Is there, are you in a three year, four year, five year rotation? Um, we try to do it four years. Okay. And depending depending when we take the hay off, if we're into that three four years, and the crop doesn't look very good, we'll plant corn back into there yet this year. For silage. Sure, sure. Yeah, the the corn market's pretty attractive right now. I would bet the hay market's pretty attractive in your neck of the woods, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) 
very attractive. <laughs> well, it's a fun year. You know, we've we've come through some tough ones, so really happy to have a shot to actually make some money this year. That will be cool. We're talking with Dick here up in Wisconsin. Dick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Love your positive attitude. Good luck here heading into the season. Thanks. Take care. You bet. All right, we got a question in from Robert who says, can you please talk about roller crimping rye and the process that can hurt seed corn? All right, so first of all, in terms of crimping, that's basically a a piece of equipment that you'd put on generally in front of a tractor, and then it uh, is going to bend these rye plants over and basically cut them kind of a little bit like a mower would. And the whole thing is it's a pretty nice way to leave a good mat of residue on your soil if that's what you're trying to accomplish. So there are a lot of people who use this, for example, uh, in organic farming, and then they don't use herbicide to terminate that cover crop. But the thing is, you got to hit it at the right stage. So generally, they talk about boot or or heading, something like that. If you don't get it at the right stage, it doesn't work as well in order to fully terminate that cover crop. The next thing is, I don't know exactly what you mean by the process that can hurt seed corn. So I, 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 I'm I not sure exactly what you're talking about there. So Robert, if I don't answer this correctly, then you can just uh, let us know and and uh, let me know what uh, whatever else you were looking for. But the biggest thing that I would say is when you've got a mat of residue out there, that's just very concerning to me if you, if you don't plant that seed first. Now, if you plant the seed first, so in other words, you were able to get down through that residue and have good seed to soil contact, um, be, well, so that's the first thing. Whenever you plant your seed, you've got to have good seed to soil contact. You got to get it into the ground. You got to get the ground uh, firmed up around the seed and get that trench closed. So that's one of the concerns. The other concern is now that ground could be cooler, it could be wetter, and I just I worry about it a little bit. Are we going to have more disease? Are we going to get the get the seed up and growing quickly? I mean, this is one of the reasons, for example, like even switching from no-till to strip-till on our farm was a really big deal because we're in a cold area of the the United States and we wanted to warm the seedbed up a little more and dry it out a little more. And because we were able to do that, we ended up with a lot more yield. On top of that, by doing some strip-till, we were putting fertilizer down a little bit deeper. But anyway, um, I, I guess I don't know exactly what you're talking about by hurting the seed corn, but that that's really the main thing that I can think of. One other thing that I will mention, and the reason why we don't say, oh, cover crops should be on every acre every year in every spot in the United States or Canada is because we're in a dry area of the United States also in addition to being cold. Well, if the cover crop robs all our moisture early in the spring, we don't raise a great crop the rest of the year. So anyway, those would be my concerns. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E dot com. 
AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucinto fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. I love, Brian, when we're talking about herbicide programs, how a lot of folks listening may say, hey, you're using that in soybeans. We're using it in a different crop. Get this one from Buddy. He said, I'm a big fan, too, of Valor and Prowl. I love that combo, not just for soybeans. It works great for me in my lentil crop. Hey, thanks, Buddy. Really appreciate you bringing bringing that up. And you're right. A lot of those active ingredients get used in multiple crops, whether it's uh, in gardening, in lawns, in in uh, just a different field crop like that, in tree crops. So yeah, it's good to hear that that those active ingredients are working for you, controlling the weeds that you need to get out of your fields too. Uh, got this question. Oh, you ready for wait, one, Brad? Well, wait a second. What, what, did, what did you say he was using? Valor and Prowl. Okay. I guess I wanted to talk about that real quick. First of all, just be careful that just because something works, that 
you aren't using it despite the fact it not being late or that you are using it despite the fact it not being labeled. Prowl, for example, you can use at three pints in soybeans or more. And lentils, we talk two pints or less even. Um, and then also with Valor, I don't, I mean, I don't know that Valor is labeled everywhere for lentils. So again, just be real careful. We often talk about Prowl, Metribuzin, and Sharpen, but here again, not all those things are labeled everywhere. So when you start talking, I'm going to, and, and don't be offended by this if you're a lentil producer, if you're raising a specialty crop, like I would call lentils, and I only call it that because it's not on massive amounts of acres like corn, soybeans, and wheat. Then you're going to find with those types of crops that the labeling is more state by state rather than all across a country. So generally speaking, it is easier for me to make a recommendation to a lot of people on corn or soybeans because a lot of the same products are labeled everywhere. Whereas with lentils, it might be different in one state versus another. And if you're in a new state for lentils, nothing might be labeled there just because there haven't been lentils raised there. So anyway, it, 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 it does kind of stink when you want to raise some of these other crops and people in your area aren't raising them right now because you could be very limited in terms of labeled applications. All right. Thanks for that comment and question. Appreciate that. This one comes from MS, who said, you talk about building your base saturation potassium levels on your farm. I'm just curious what form or forms of potassium you have used, and would you recommend the same for everyone else? Okay. The biggest ones that we have used would be manure, compost, uh, potash, Potash is a dry commercial fertilizer. And then different liquid fertilizers. So, for example, SureK from AgroLiquid. And there are a number of different ones that we have tried over the years as well. So I don't really care what you want to use. It just kind of depends a little bit on your situation. I will say this. If you're trying to build your soil K fast then generally we start talking about manure and compost as potentially the cheapest source. You just have to be a little careful with the salt. Otherwise, if you want commercial fertilizer, then that's where potash kind of fits in. However, if you want something that's available now, which we often do on our farm because we are in a dry climate and the potash, the dry potash might not even break down because we don't have enough rain. So in that case, it's really nice having the liquid. So you have a number of different options there, and I would just encourage you, if you need K, somehow, some way, you got to get some on the field. We talk about you got to have a, a minimum amount of parts per million based on whatever your crop is and yield goal, but then on top of that, you want to look at the base saturation test so you have a balance of potassium compared to other nutrients in the soil, and then typically we're talking about 4% to 8% base saturation K, and usually. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, we've got Steve online with us right now up in New York. Steve, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. I love this time of year. This blue sky, sunshine, and I won't say we're going around the clock, but we're going hard. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, have you got anything up yet in the fields, or is it all still uh, just getting put in the ground? No, I got some barley up that uh, I can't even say it's uh, – a four leaf yet but it's it's up out of the ground and looks real healthy and strong 
uh, alfalfa wants to jump out of the ground. It's still a bit cool for that, but uh, we're just this week uh, we really started hitting corn and soybeans uh, hard. So that's that's in the ground. Uh, second day planting of that, but we got some time yet. Sure you do. And you think about this, like you say, you're getting some blue sky up there pretty soon. We'll be getting some rain. Uh, what are soil conditions like? Are they in, in good shape? Are you guys wet? Are you guys dry? No. Um, listen, I'm told by meteorologists and people that are looking in the satellite that we're dry as a whole with the subsoil moisture. But I've got multiple wells that I check because uh, I'm predominantly a livestock farmer and we're watching wells all the time. I think we're okay. Now, I don't know what our water storage capacity is. I don't, you know, I can't see the underground lakes and aquifers, but if I look at strictly my well casings, we're good. Now, moisture on top, um, I think we're, we're about, I, won't, I, don't, I don't believe in perfect, but I think our conditions are outstanding. Uh, we did go through the first two weeks of May uh, cool and damp and rainy, uh, with a little bit, a tiny bit of snow here and there. But uh, the so- the top dirt looks phenomenal. The planters are going. It's just perfect for the markers um, as you're planting corn. So it, it, it's very favorable conditions. I'm excited. My my family all loves when I come in, in the house at 9, 10 o'clock because I usually have a smile on my face. Outstanding. How, okay, talk to us about the livestock a little bit. What are you raising on your farm, and, and how are things going this spring? Uh, predominantly a, a, a swine finishing farm. We also have a mama cow herd, about 100 mama cows, and we uh, we sell high quality feeders throughout uh, different uh, uh, feed feed lots throughout uh, the northeast. I uh, got a small uh, uh, broiler flock that goes outside in the summer. We're trying to capture those local markets to our to our urban neighbors that are you know five, six, seven hours away from us. Sure, sure. That's awesome. Okay, how how is the livestock business going now? We hear lots of issues with trucking. We hear issues with with things trying to get into our country. You having any trouble at all, or are things going pretty smooth? A year ago, it was quite scary. I got long-term relationships with um, medium-sized slaughter facilities. So we're pretty much locked in uh, 18, 20 months at a time. But last year for our local business to do uh, slide a uh, steer in here and a couple pigs there, it really got um, tight. It was a couple of things, labor situations, but also all the local farmers were trying to capture local markets. This year it's uh, not quite as challenging. Um, but again, with the high price of uh, proteins in the store, it makes the local farmer's price look pretty economical. So um, it's very favorable. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big windfall for strictly the local markets. Well, and I would assume a lot of the crops you're raising, too, are going to go for feed. So are there certain types of corn that you're looking for, different types of, of hay that you're looking for, or is there anything unique that you're doing or, or uh, a leg up that you've got on the competition? Um, you know, I, I just try to tell I, – I do a pretty good job self-marketing. I try to tell the story of what we're doing uh, – a lot of it's grass-based. A lot of times, uh, most, of the, most of the year, the animals are outside. Uh, even our hogs, we have uh, outdoor concrete uh, decks that they can go in and out of the barns. We just try to explain why we rotate, have a five-crop rotation, and why we uh, utilize our own animal manure on the fields. I think if you tell the story and bring the farm back to the city, um, it just has, a, just has something, a key effect 
to the consumer, to that person that wants to buy. Almost they feel better when they know knowing where their food comes from. If I started getting into technicals uh, with uh, sugars and starches and corn, I think I'd blow people away. So try to keep it basic and just try to tell that farm story. You know what, Steve? I think you're on to something there. We just all need to tell our story in the best way we can, speaking in the language of the consumer so they can understand it. Uh, way to go, Steve. Really appreciate what you're doing for agriculture. Good luck this spring getting that crop in and, and making some money this year. Thanks, guys. I love your show. We listen all the time. Bet. Thank you. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
It's a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all the way through the show here at 844-44-AG-PHD. One of the questions that has been coming up quite a bit lately has been about carbon credits. We've got Wade Barnes on with Farmer's Edge to talk about that just a little bit. Wade, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, when it comes to carbon credits, man, we get so many questions, Wade. And one of them that, that I hear guys talking about is, oh, man, sounds like a lot of paperwork and a lot of tracking for me. Maybe somebody will come up with a way that I won't have to do all this tracking. Is there such a way, Wade? Yeah, you know, we're really focused on that. This has to be really passive and easy for the farmer. And, you know, we've heard stories of farmers taking uh, as many as, 60 hours to do all the legwork in order to get these offsets. And so, you know, we believe that when a farmer's on our SMART program, we can do generally the majority of that work for them. So it's easy and quick, and uh, it uh, can keep them focused on farming. Well, I, I agree with you. If we can keep guys focused on farming and making great decisions on their ground, that is that is really important. But when you look at the lure of, of carbon credits and potentially farmers who are doing the right things out in the field could make some money off just doing the right practices, seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I mean, there's a good, there's going to be a great opportunity in the carbon market as it emerges. And I think the big thing is being able to collect the data, it's going to be really data intensive and being able to showcase the management uh, that you're making in order to get those offsets. Um, I mean, my, you know, the advice I would give is just for farmers to be careful of what they're signing, know what they're getting into and, and make sure that they don't commit to something that they can't deliver on. But other than that, um, I think it's a great opportunity um, as long as it doesn't take away from getting top yields on the farm or take away from the focus on the farm. Now, you mentioned for farmers to just be cautious getting into contracts about what they're committing to. Are, are you talking about length of contract or, or what are some of the th- key watchouts you'd say going into this? I mean, I think length of contract. I think the commitment around permanence or additionality of, of some of the management practices Um you know, we've had some experience with the carbon business up here in Canada before, and what you're going to find is a lot of companies are going to jump into this, and you really need to find somebody that you trust and that, you know, that you're committed to, um, and because this is going to be a long-term agreement, and so you really need to be careful about the fine print. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Any anytime there's something new and wait a lot of lot of questions around carbon credits. What are probably the most common questions you're getting from farmers that you're working with? I mean, a lot of it is what is the price and what the what is the price going to go to? Um, that would be a big one. I mean, the second one is you know the practices that I'm doing now seems like it's pretty good for the environment. Can I get paid for what I'm doing now, or do I have to change something? Um, and so I think that those, um, those are all great questions. And, and I, I think that, you know, you need to be able to trust somebody that can really give you the guidance that, uh, so that you make the right decisions on this. You know, you mentioned that price and the future price. And if, if we knew the future price, Wade, it would be so easy to make decisions <laughs> on this, right? But, but you do see a wide variance in prices from, from, like you mentioned, lots of companies getting into this. Some it's just a few dollars an acre. Some it's quite a bit more. Is it really the same thing that you're delivering or, or are there just wide variances in, in what they actually want you to commit to? 
So it's really kind of connected to the type of protocols and what you qualify for. But at the end of the day, you know, the, there's a voluntary market and there soon to be will be a regulated market. And today the voluntary market keeps going up. I actually just heard today that there was um, some offsets that traded for $27 a ton, which is the highest I've, I've heard. Um, and then it goes back to, you know, am I doing no-till or am I converting to no-till? What is that worth? And then that sort of depends on, you know, what part of the U.S. you're in and then a focus on, you know, nitrogen efficiency and cover crops. Now, the problem being is that not every farmer no-till is a good fit for and, and not every farmer cover crops are a good fit for. But the one thing that we do know is that the majority of farmers use nitrogen and they're really focused on being efficient with that nitrogen. So, so we think that nitrogen efficiency is going to be one of the protocols that m the majority of the farmers are going to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, a lot of opportunities out there for, for farmers going forward, carbon credits being one of them, and a great resource on that is Wade Barnes with Farmer's Edge. Wade, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show. Really appreciate the information here on the, the carbon as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. Let's head uh, back up north of the border. We've got Clayton on with us right now up in Manitoba. Clayton, how's it going? Oh, can't complain. We've got lots of sunshine, lots of heat here right now, so uh, it's finally warming up. It's good. You know, finally warming up is, is really the sentiment we're getting today. I know even for our own farm, the forecast after today looks to be much better, and we're kind of excited about that. Everything's starting really slow here. How about in Manitoba? Are guys putting seed in the ground still? Is everything pretty much in the ground or just waiting for the warm-up? You know what? Uh, for the most part, like earlier stuff, like cereals, like wheat, oats, and barley, that went in, you know, a week or, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Some people might have finished up or even earlier because conditions were right for planting. But uh, a lot of people were, I think, holding off for some soil tubs that were a little bit more conducive to germination for like beans and canola and things of that nature. So that kind of planting is still going strong right now. Talk to us about canola. What's the key to getting good early growth on canola? Have you found some tricks that really work? You know what? I I wish I had a perfect answer. Uh, you know, 20 years ago when I was younger, I think we would eat canola actually earlier than we have been the last couple of years. Uh, but in the last few years, we've had such devastating striped flea beetle infestations that we've had to do over-the-top insecticide applications after planting. Uh, ourselves and a lot of people around us have actually deliberately chosen to seed later into warmer ground to hopefully get that crop up fast and growing quickly so that it can hopefully tolerate some flea beetle feeding and not need that over-the-top application of uh, insecticide. That is very interesting. I know there are quite a few different crops in different areas where growers will do the same thing. They'll adjust their planting date to try to outsmart uh, an insect or, or something else that happens in their area. Uh, I think that's good farming practice right there. It doesn't cost a thing to wait just a few days to, to get around the, the flea beetles or at least lessen what the pressure is going to be. How about with soybeans? Now, you mentioned growers are waiting on soybeans a little bit yet or maybe just getting going on the soybeans. They just want to see general warm conditions or is there any, any challenge they're trying to avoid there? You know what, just generally warm, I think. Uh, beans have been going in probably depending on where people are for like the last, maybe as early as two weeks ago. Some people I know are just starting today, but I think the majority of farmers are waiting to see those soil temps get to a point where it's a little more conducive to growth. It was probably only like five days ago we had frost uh, almost 
almost nightly. So I think people, a lot of people are just trying to get away from those kind of extreme temps. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If we get back into maybe some consistently warm temperatures, everything just grows so much better. How about the weeds? Do you see a lot of weeds that start early in, in Manitoba, or do they wait for the warm-up too? Well, it's funny. I think this year they were waiting too, which is odd and rare, but the fields have been pretty clean so far up until this point. I think it was just because soil temps are so cool. But uh, here with this heat that we're getting now, you can kind of see dandelions are blooming a lot more than they would have been otherwise, and things are starting to happen. So uh, if the weeds aren't there at this very moment, they're probably going to be there in an hour. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, Clayton, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here. Good luck as you finish up planting. Hope you guys have a great crop this year. Thanks a lot. You too. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And, Brian, this seems to be a common theme in the north. It's finally warming up. Yeah, but it's still not that warm. So we it's what I was talking about earlier in the show. We have dealt with such cold soil temperatures. And you can still plant and you can still succeed even if you have cold soil temperatures. But you got to do something extra. So if you're going to do nothing extra, then you're probably going to have a bunch of seed rot in the ground. And that's no fun. We've had that. So what we've learned over the years is you got to have a great seed treatment. You want to take a look at what else you can do in furrow also to protect that seed. Everything from maybe a little more fungicide, some insecticide, maybe some biologicals. And then uh, just taking a look at liquid fertilizer using a low salt product at a low rate, blended down with some water. And you do all those things, you absolutely can pop that seed out of the ground with fewer heat units. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. 
heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, we get a little bit of time left here today, 844-44-AG-PHD. I was just going to mention from earlier, Darren was talking to Wade Barnes with Farmer's Edge about carbon credits. And I, I, I will say this, I think that eventually a lot of farmers are going to make money on this deal. Um, is it right? Is it great? I mean, I look, I don't know. All I know is this. We're always in support of whatever helps farmers, okay? So if people are willing to give us money to do a lot of the same practices we're probably going to do anyway, fantastic. That's great. And with these carbon credits, it comes down to, it's most likely going to come down to several things. So you've got a better chance to gain more money out of this carbon credit deal if you are reducing nitrogen, you're using cover crops, you're going no-till. And so if you say, well, I don't want to cut back my nitrogen because my yield will be hurt. I can't raise cover crops because like for us on our farm, we harvest when the ground is just about froze and we plant when the ground is just thawing in the spring. There's no time for cover crops. And no-till, you know, that may work for you, may not. All I'm saying here is, this isn't necessarily going to fit for every farmer, but there are a lot of farmers that are going to be able to take advantage of this thing. So we would encourage you to start checking this out. It's going to get to be a bigger deal in the future, so you might want to get started on it, you know, on a small scale. I mean, let's say it's a field or two and just try something out. It's like anything else. I mean, think about the first time as a farmer you ever raised some new crop. Like for our dad, he came from Iowa in 1969. And almost nobody raised soybeans here in South Dakota. Well, today, uh, like almost every farmer in, on the eastern side of the state raises soybeans. So, you know, just think about if you were one of those people and it's the first time you've ever raised beans, do you do it on the whole farm? No. Are you an expert the first year? No. Do you want to try it on a small scale? Absolutely. So I'm just trying to say on this carbon credit thing, maybe this is the year where you go, yeah, Let's, let's at least be checking into it. Try something on a small scale and start learning because we do think that eventually there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. All right. I had a question here from Chad who said, uh, oh, and actually he's an agronomist, it looks like, up in Ontario. He says, I've got a dairy producer having issues with their herd and it, it had to do with the silage. What they found is there was this T2 toxin that's not very common in this area. 
And he says, we did have an early widespread frost last fall. They're feeding a binder, which is helping. But anyway, his question is, uh, what causes this? Is it a field issue? Could it be carried over in the field and cause issues next year? And should they avoid corn silage or grain in the same field next year? Okay, so Chad, I, I would just say this T2, it's a fungus, it's a mycotoxin, and it would be similar to, we often talk about aflatoxin in grain. We've talked about that for years and years and years. And we we see that certain years, depending on weather especially, but what this really comes back to is ear rot in corn. And so we just don't want to have ear rot. So in terms of it carrying over from year to year, that's that's really not the issue that I know of anyway. I, I, as far as I know, the only thing is you just have to keep rot out of your corn ears. So when you think about that, when are we most likely to have ear rot in corn? It's when we have insect issues. It's Oh, and by the way, there are a lot of people that will talk about um, non-GMO corn and how great it is and everything. And I'm going, I'm not, if you want to plant that, that's fine. I, it, that's totally your decision. But you have to look at why so many people went to traded corn. It, it, this is one of the reasons, because we have a lot fewer of these T2 issues or aflatoxin in general. Oh, and I should say too, to step back, T2 is a mycotoxin that is more potent than aflatoxin, but less common than aflatoxin. Okay. But anyway, if we're able to prevent insect issues, like especially feeding on the ear from some of these late season bugs, well, that's great. And then you didn't have to go out and spray an insecticide, which a lot of people also think is great. So there are a lot of benefits to having traded corn, biotechnology in that corn. Uh, on top of that, I would take a look at, and well, I don't think this is going to play a big role, I would still look at just overall disease control in your, in your field, overall fertility in your field. That's probably a little bit bigger issue than the uh, like spraying fungicides or anything like that. But you always want to have great drainage, a, an ample, well-balanced fertility program, and then great weed, insect, and disease control. And if you do all that, your odds of having T2 toxin are very slim. So that's, that, that is what I would tell you there. I, I'm not that concerned about it for you going into the future, as long as you've addressed all those things. Uh, oh, and Darren is going to tell you, I literally had a text come in just as we were as I was talking there, and it was about, uh, uh, so this is an, another question from an agronomist. And he said, hey, I know of a guy planting 75,000 plants per acre on soybeans. I'm worried about it. Should I be? <laughs> well, look, here again, as a farmer, um, you can do whatever you want. If you want to plant your soybeans at 5,000 plants per acre, you sure can. There have been, so the standard population for soybeans, I would say in 30 inch rows is about 140,000 seeds per acre. In 15 or 10 inch rows, it's closer to 160, 180,000 plants per acre. And that's kind of been proven out to yield the most over the years. But lately we've had some farmers cutting back on population. And again, if you want to do that, you certainly can. Here are our concerns, okay? So first of all, it's weed control. We have all these resistant weeds out there, and the thinner you have your stand, the more weed control it, it could potentially be an issue. So usually when you cut your seeding rate, obviously you save money on the seed. That's great. 
Problem is you're most likely going to have more weeds, meaning you need to spend more money on herbicide. So you're going to spend some of that money back. And then the other big concern that I always have is you have nothing extra to go on. You get any hail, you get any wind damage, bug damage, diseases, crusting, I mean, anything. And all of a sudden, you're going to be down to a real critical level on what's left for soybean population out there. So I'll, I'll just tell you, in our farm, we still seed everything at about 130 to 140,000 plants per acre. Our best yields over the years in our studies have actually been at higher populations, but because seed is expensive, it's hard to justify that. So I'm fine with a person planting 130, 140,000 plants per acre and expect a final stand of in the range of 100,000 to 120,000. Keep in mind, soybeans aren't like corn. The germination is usually 90% for warm germ and 80% for cold germ. A little bit earlier, I had just made the comment that we planted our soybeans. We planted them all in April. Uh, we planted into probably mid-40s, low-40s soil temps. Okay, So you're not talking warm germ. Keep in mind, warm germ in a lab is done at 77 degrees. Our soil temps will not reach 77 degrees here on average until the 4th of July. So that's a long time to wait, and I'm not planting my beans the 4th of July. The yield isn't there. So anyway, my point is we have to look at the cold germ all the time. Well, the cold germ is only 80%. So if you seed 130 to 140,000 plants per acre, now you're down, like I say, to 100,000, maybe 120,000 at best. That's all you're going to have left. So you're not at a high population to begin with anyway in terms of final stand. So those are my concerns. Now, I will say there are a lot of people that will want to thin that population out because of sclerotinia white mold. That's the worst disease that you can get in soybeans. I mean, in some cases, it has taken 100% of our yield on our farm in spots. So it's terrible. And by thinning the population a little bit, that does help, but that is not a savior. I don't care if you planted 20,000 plants per acre, you can still get sclerotinia white mold. If that was the reason why the person was cutting their population back, I would tell them, don't cut back to 75K. That's too low, in my opinion, for where this was in northern Minnesota. But I would take a look at some of the other things that could help you in terms of sclerotinia white mold control. Darren, anything to add to that? Nope, not really. Um, you know, you think about white mold control, though. Wow, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And, and we've had a lot of white mold questions that have come in over the winter. And now all of a sudden, Brian, when it's dry, the white mold questions have stopped. A lot of guys not thinking about that much, but it can pop up. It can get it wet. Can, and and those conditions can be fit for white mold later in the season. And we're only a month away from when flowering is going to get started in the upper Midwest where we have a lot of white mold. And that's when you need to hit it in terms of fungicide. So just make sure you're on top of that if it does start getting a little bit wetter for you. Well, certainly a lot to think about as we get into this growing season. If you have any agronomic questions, you can always call our show at 844-44-AG-PHD or email us radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.